Let us pray. Breathe on us indeed, O breath of God. Spirit of life, move among us. That the name of Christ may be lifted high, that we may walk in obedience to the Father's will. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good morning again to everyone watching via the live stream as well. So glad that you've joined us. Just a few things I want to bring to your attention that are exciting things coming up. Next Sunday, which is the Feast of the Transfiguration, we will have the Reverend Justin Clemente here as our guest preacher and celebrant. Justin is the vicar of New Creation Anglican Church, one of our diocesan church plants in Hagerstown, Maryland. And he and I have been talking about this for some time, looking to build partnerships with some of our church plants. And so uh, Father Justin will be here and I will be in Hagerstown. We're doing a pulpit exchange next Sunday. And so um, please welcome him. He, he will be by himself. His wife will be is um, three weeks from delivering their sixth child. And so it just wasn't, oops, it, yes, it just wasn't feasible for Brooke to be here this time. But... Um, there will be times in the future, I hope as well, God willing. And then next Sunday night is our first all-church prayer service from 6 to 7 p.m. And I want to encourage everyone um, to please make that a priority to come out for that as we seek the face of the Lord for the coming year and for God's will and call for the days ahead for the life of our church. Um, child care will be provided for that. And um, again, it's set up to start at six right after foundations and youth are over so that those who are part of those classes with foundations and also our youth can be a part of the prayer service as well. Well, I invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with scripture on them and turn to Ephesians chapter five. Today, looking at verses seven through 21. Our study in Ephesians today tracks especially close with that which we looked at last Sunday in Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 6, where we saw how we are to be imitators of Christ, putting on the new self by God's transforming power and grace at work in us. We also saw last week that we are called to live lives of holiness, which reflect God's image in which we are created and which is fully restored to those who know Jesus Christ as Savior. Today in verses 7 through 21, St. Paul continues to build on this theme of walking in godliness, walking in Christ's light. That Paul continues expounding on this same thing is clear by his use of the word to begin verse 7 by saying, therefore, clearly linking verses 1 through 6 with the verses that we're looking at today. As we look at verses 7 through 21, I have two primary points of focus this morning. The first in verses 7 through 14 is this. St. Paul expounds further on what it means to walk in the light. What walking in the light looks like for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians 5, 7 through 10 with me. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. As God's people, we are not to be partners with the sons or children of disobedience, referring back to verse 6. 
And Paul uses the same Greek word here for partners that he uses back in Ephesians 3, 6, there to describe the unity or oneness of Jewish and Gentile believers through their shared redemption in Christ. And in Ephesians 3, verse 6, that's a wonderfully positive example. Conversely, here, in what we're looking at today, using the same word, he uses it in a negative context. And here Paul strongly warns and admonishes the Ephesian believers to not become partners, to not be joined together in some unifying way with unbelievers in their ungodly ways of being. What kinds of things is he speaking of here? Well, in this context, the specific, specific behaviors that we studied last Sunday and we heard read again this morning seem to be what he is talking about. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness and greed, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. Such actions and attitudes mock God and they also demean and denigrate the image of God in us and in other people. Partnering in such behaviors leads to spiritual disaster and pulls the Ephesians potentially and us back to those things which held us captive before we knew Christ. Growing up, um, my grandfather at his house had this big magnet. It was about this tall and the the problems don't worry about this far apart. It's about that wide. And we played with it as kids. He gave it to us to play with. I'm not sure whatever happened to it. But um, we kept it in a paint bucket, an old paint bucket in his basement. And there were nails and bolts and all that stuff in the, in the can with it. And we'd take it out and you lay the nails or the bolts down. And if they, they didn't have to touch the magnet, I mean, if they got this close to that magnet, shoof, it, it would suck them right in. And it would hold them there fast. You had to really pull them off of the magnet. But that's a picture, I think, of what flirting with sin, trying to be partners with the world does to us, especially for those sins that were familiar sins and were sin struggles or maybe continue to be internal sin struggles. When we run close to those things, it's like a giant magnet and it pulls us in, it sucks us in, and it binds us back to those things. And God wants us to be free. Paul brings this home in another way in verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You were, hear the contrast, you were, but now you are light in the Lord. Clearly a before and after image. Another example of what God does can be found in this beautiful font. I brought it in here today to show all of you. Um, does anyone recognize this? Some of you old timers here. Susie's hand is going up. Lucia is shaking her head. I found this on a shelf about six months ago stored here at the church. And this font is the baptismal font that came from St. It's engraved right in the front. St. Martin's Episcopal Church. How many of you were here before All Saints existed and it was St. Martin's Episcopal Church? Yes, and our brother Martin, who went to be with the Lord last year, was a part of that group as well. This font was black as tar. Um, and God bless her. I don't think she's here today, but I would embarrass her to death. But Jeannie Bauman saw that I was interested in having this font cleaned up. And she took it home and she scrubbed and she scrubbed and she scrubbed and she polished it until it was bright, shining silver again. And we're looking forward to, forward to using it for baptisms again. 
and so, yes. Um, but but that but that font with all this blackness and and all is also an image because that's what God does with us. He wipes away all of that tarnish, all of that blackness, all of that darkness, all of that sin, so that we become bright shining reflections of his light. I mean, this font wouldn't have reflected any light at the time. I mean, it was, it was, you all know what silver looks like once been sitting for 15 or 20 years in out in the open air. Um, but that's what God does with us. And he cleans that stuff off as we become new creations in Christ so that his light is reflected brightly through us. We need to remember, as we talked about a few weeks ago, brothers and sisters, from where God has brought us. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, St. Paul says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Everything that St. Paul talks about here in Ephesians, everything he talks about as he wrote in Colossians, we must remember, brothers and sisters, it is in the Lord. This is by God's grace. It's by God's transforming power at work in us. It comes through Christ. It comes through union with Christ. And it's only possible as he continues to refine and polish us to reflect his image to reflect his light. And he talks about, be careful how we walk. Walking is about conduct, how we order and how we live our lives. I want to say this, what we do really does matter. How we order our lives, the behaviors we engage in, it really does matter Sometimes in Christian circles, particularly in the United States, you hear this, this nonsense. It's not scriptural about, well, I'm forgiven. I can do whatever I want. No, that is not true. That is a lie. God calls us to walk in ways that are right. This isn't in my notes, but I'm thinking of the quote of Pope John Paul II that I love so much. True freedom consists not in the right to do anything we want, but in the power to do what is right. That's the power God gives us as we walk with him. We need to order our lives in a way that reflects his light because when we walk in disobedience, when we walk in those ways of the old self where we start to not continue putting on the new self through God's grace and God's power, that light of Christ becomes darkened, it becomes diminished because we become tarnished so that we can't reflect his light. The way we walk either brightens God's light in us and through us to the world, or somehow it filters and diminishes that light. Now hear me carefully. Far too often scripture passages like this are used by some Christians as a justification to kind of circle the wagons like in the old westerns, in the old cowboy movies. So somehow guard against or exclude outsiders. Hear me, that is not the heart of God. To keep people out or to keep people away. If that was the heart of God, he would have never sent Jesus, the eternal son of God, into this world to live as a man, a sinless life, to die for us. 
God's heart is a missionary heart. God's heart is for us to be that light because God's light will draw people in. God's light brings life and brings growth and brings maturity. You know, many of you know I grow dahlias and in the spring in my garage about the 1st of April, um, I pot the tubers, they're the roots of the dahlias up and I start the plants in pots so I know I have good strong plants, but I grow them under lights. And when they have sufficient nutrients and sufficient lights, those tubers spring to life. And the leaves are dark green and vibrant and healthy. And the plants, it's amazing how fast they shoot up. And they grow and they pull toward the light. And I have to turn the trays every couple of days because the plants start to lean more and more in the direction of the light. When we shine the light of Christ in the world, people will be drawn to Christ through us. They'll lean, they'll reach for the light. Because light brings life, light brings purity, it brings vigor. We flourish when we are fully in God's light. And when we are walking fully in God's light, it dispels darkness. Because darkness is simply the absence of light. The spiritual sense, spiritual darkness is the absence of God's presence, of God's light. Lynn Kohick in her commentary on Ephesians says this, The loving father provides a lighted space for his children to grow and bear fruit. Did you hear that? To grow and bear fruit. Paul does not present the father as threatening his children, nor does Paul urge believers to act rightly to avoid God's wrath. The one walking in the light produces produces effective results of obedience, the virtues of goodness, righteousness, and truth. We are indeed called to have no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Verse 11. But don't confuse works with people. It goes back to that circling the wagons mentality that that I talked about a minute ago. In no sense does Paul instruct believers to withdraw from building appropriate relationships with unbelievers. Rather, God's word calls us to not in partner engage with them in fruitless works, in ungodly ways of being, in ungodly behaviors, sinful ways of being, which demean the image of God in those very people we're trying to reach. We're not to engage in that which is dark rather than light and godly. That is a challenge for us. Because it pushes us, all of us as believers, often past our comfort zone. Because God calls us to to build relationships with and walk, not in their ways, but with people who don't know Christ. Some of them whose lives are really messed up. But that's the heart of God. That's what God the Son did for us and all who will receive him. To as many as received him, he gave the right to be called sons of God. That's God's heart for us in the workplace, in school, in our neighborhood when we go for a walk. That is God's heart for this church. That we build those bridges where our light, the light of Christ, it's not ours, it's Christ's light shines through us and we reflect his image to the world and people are drawn in. Because they experience his love. 
they become aware of his transforming power. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God calls us to walk in the light. Second in verses 15 through 21, St. Paul talks about living and walking in the Spirit. We are indeed called to be careful how we walk, how we conduct, and how we order our lives. As the passage says here, this requires godly wisdom. It requires being faithful stewards of our time and our talents. And it requires understanding. It requires discerning the Lord's will. And all of this, all of this necessitates walking in the fullness of the Spirit of God. That starts with the individual believer, with every one of us being filled with the Holy Spirit, as I've talked about in recent weeks. And then all of us continuing to be filled, to overflowing with the Spirit of God, living and moving in God's presence and in God's power. However, the focus here in Ephesians 5 is really on a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered household of believers through whom God's light shines in the darkness and whose power, meaning God's power, liberates people bound and entangled in darkness who can see no way out for themselves. But we only become a household of believers who are filled with the Spirit of God as each of us walks in the fullness of the Spirit. Godly wisdom, again, that St. Paul talks about here, understands that which is of the world and that which detracts from and pulls us and others away from God's transforming, God's transforming, God's transforming light. Excuse me. And then verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. Is something which is once and ongoing, it continues. We must continue. We must keep on being filled with the Spirit. So what does and should that look like as a reality among us? Well, Paul identifies three things here that I'm going to talk about very briefly. First, speaking to each other, the horizontal piece, speaking to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It speaks of corporate worship, of coming together as the people of God, as the body of Christ, to sing God's praise, to hear God's word proclaimed, to experience Christ in the Eucharist. It speaks of building each other up through worshiping and magnifying God together. There is no substitute for coming together as the people of God. This American idea of overly individualized Christianity is a bunch of bunk. Not that we all don't come to Christ. We, each one must come to Christ. But this idea that Christianity is a lone ranger thing is a lie from hell. It is not true. God calls us together corporately as his people. And that's been a challenge through this season of COVID, I know. And I want to say to everyone here, and especially those watching via the live stream, if you have health issues and other things that keep you from coming right now because of concerns, you have my full support and you have my blessing. But there are others among us that it's time to come back. We've gotten too comfortable doing church in our pajamas with our cocoa or coffee on Sunday mornings. I mean, it's a temptation. I think it's a temptation for 
us when we never thought it would be. I mean, everybody know what I'm talking about? But that's not enough, brothers and sisters. We have to come together as the people of God to worship God corporately, to experience Christ in the Eucharist. And you can't do that long distance. So those of you that are watching that don't have specific health reasons to come back, please come back. We miss you. It's time. Second, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Notice the first was to each other. Now Paul shifts to the vertical, to the Lord. It's worship that rises to God from a transformed heart, a heart set free, a life that is joyfully submitted to Christ's kingdom rule. So that our singing, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord is something that we do out of love. It flows naturally from us. And the words flowing from our mouths to the Lord reflect that which is truly in our hearts, in our innermost being. And then third, giving thanks always and for everything to God. Again, the vertical. Now, based on the context here, Everything that Paul is talking about in this context is salvation in Christ, our inheritance secured by the Spirit, our oneness and unity with other believers who together are now God's children of light, all of us together. And we should thank God for that constantly, always, for our salvation. The fact that we are sealed by the Spirit. And that we all together, again, the corporate dimension, we are now God's children. And all of this, it comes through the fullness of the Spirit. We are indeed called to walk in the light, God's light, in the midst of the darkness around us, bringing that light, being ambassadors of God's eternal kingdom. Reflecting God's image and God's character. And we don't always do that so well. We are to reflect God's image and God's character. So that the light of Christ is reflected brightly from us. And to do that, we have to live in the spirit. Ongoing, continual living in the spirit. It means, living in the spirit means walking in step with the heart and the mind of God. The heart and the mind of God. And as we do that, as we walk in the light and Christ's light shines through us, as we walk in the spirit and keep step with the heart of God, there is no limit to what God will do. As you encounter people in your workplace, at school, your neighbors, and as we as a church shine that light on our community all around us, there is no limit to what God can and will do as people experience Christ's light, as people are drawn to the light, and they experience freedom and hope and joy and deliverance and all these things that they never thought were even possible in their lives. And God is more than willing and able to do that if we will continue to press into him and seek his face and grow in that light and fullness that he calls us to. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you have translated us from the kingdom of darkness 
to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of your beloved and glorious son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, you call us and equip us to walk in that light, to reflect Jesus. So Lord, clean us up. Clean off the tarnish. Lord, bring us to repentance where repentance is needed so that there's nothing that hinders us reflecting and shining the light of Christ brightly to the world around us. Lord, in fact, so brightly that what people see is not us, but Christ. And Lord, fill us with your spirit. May we be a spirit-filled church, community of believers, together serving our great and glorious God as you do your good and gracious work among us and through us to a lost and dying world. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.